0: Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24 7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. Unfortunately for the listening public, I have bad news. Matei is not here. Doug and Evan, what excuses do we have for him?
1: I got no excuses. I think think our our listenership will go up after this. It's It's the Twitter space.
2: I don't think that's that bad of news.
0: Matei is unaccounted for, though. Croc stock plummeting at the opening bell tomorrow. We
1: uh, can check his uh, location on his text messages. He never turns off. He, stalled, exactly
2: he, he, he stalked Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, maybe,
0: if anyone's looking for Matt, it's his personal number. I guess <laughs> that's the strategy. Nonetheless, we are here. Basketball talk, football talk, the whole nine yards to be transition into Virginia Tech football season. Basketball season is over, and Doug. I'll start with you because we need to give Evan a second to collect his Oracle-like basketball analysis on the NCAA tournament game. Virginia Tech comes in as the 11th seed. We talked a lot about Texas. We knew that their defense was going to be stout. Seeing it in practice against Mike Young's offense, I'll just say I was very impressed. Did you think that they were going to be that tough defensively, even though we knew the stats?
2: Yeah, we knew they were going to be a, uh, a solid, really solid team. We talked about Chris Speer, how good a coach he is. And defensively, you know, it was just one of those matchups that was like, is is it going to be, is the better offense going to win or is the better defense going to win? And I think, you know, Texas Texas pretty much locked down tech, especially on the perimeter. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Murphy and Oline, two starters who played 25-plus minutes, don't get off a three-pointer. It, it, it takes a lot for those guys to not take a three pointer over 40 minutes. Um, it tells you, tells, tells you just how locked down, uh, Texas had them, And, um, I, I think it, it kind of exposed the matchup kind of exposed the, the, the flaw or one of the flaws of this year's team, which is they, they just didn't have somebody that could beat somebody off the dribble consistently. Um, Padula probably is, the, is the best on the team. He scored 19 points at it. Uh, but Mur- Murphy couldn't do it all year. Aline and Couture, not their strengths. Um and, and when you don't have somebody that can consistently win off the dribble against a team as good defensively as they are, as, as as sound and as solid, you know, it's like playing it's like playing those really really good UVA teams where you just aren't aren't going to be able to get in the lane and it makes things really difficult and that's what we saw there.
0: Yeah, certainly a change of pace and you know, we looked at a, a rare situation, right, where Virginia Tech goes into a game with a size advantage. With Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz being two of the more imposing presences on that floor. But they were able to get the ball down low to him. And, of course, those two fouls in the first half uh, drew the ire of Virginia Tech Nation. I'm still hearing about it three days later, right? Yeah, I don't know
2: what those first two fouls on Aluma there were. That was um, Those were interesting, but... You know, that 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 was the strength of Virginia Tech's team all year and Mutz and Illumis still him twenty four points and eleven rebounds. You would have just liked to, to I guess in I guess in that game they needed to do even more than that, um, based on how it turned out. Texas still didn't seem like they missed a shot there for about ten minutes there, and that's where the game got away from Virginia Tech. But um I you know, it was it was just a tough matchup. We knew it coming in six Six, eleven, we talked like that's a that's a pretty good seed compared to like lining up to face the two or the one. But um Texas is still a really solid team, and they showed that.
0: you feel like at least for the first half of that game, Virginia Tech obviously was hanging in there with Texas, and it kind of brings me back to that Dayton game early in the season when there was just a rock fight early on somewhere between Virginia Tech locking down defensively and the opponent just not being able to get shots to fall you had this six, seven minute period of nearly scoreless basketball on the other side, but Virginia tech was unable to capitalize from pretty much that point on Texas was red hot. And unfortunately, Virginia tech was unable to respond.
2: Yeah. We thought, we talked about before the game, they were like, what I said, 275th in the country in three point shooting in the 10 games heading into this one. <laughs> and then they come out and make 10 and 19 52%. Um, shot 16 of 25 in the second half 64% like uh, you, Virginia Tech couldn't couldn't get a stop but it didn't feel like the shots that Texas was were was taking was taking was it like anything it seemed like pretty decent defense they were just making making shot after shot after shot and yeah that's that's tough for for I mean six, 64% if you shoot 64% and a half, you're going to win the game. And that's that's what happened.
0: Well, such is life in college basketball, though, for those who want to complain about Texas finding their stride from beyond the arc. Because I mean, you look back at the six, seven games prior to that ACC championship and Hunter Couture could barely throw a rock in the ocean if he was standing on the beach. Suddenly he goes God mode. I know I compared him to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant in the previous game. He certainly was not that... Against Texas, no one was, but, you know, those two guys from Texas, one of them being Jones, I believe his name is Andrew Jones. He'd been a solid player for them all year. Carr had drawn the ire of the Texas fan base, but I believe he was three for five from three. Regardless, they couldn't miss, and that's the NCAA tournament. To this day, I believe that you play that game ten times. It's probably pretty close to even. I mean, with Texas's defense, maybe I'll give them a – six out of 10 game advantage, but it was their day offensively and Virginia tech wasn't able to get them playing below their baseline level of defense. And that's the story.
2: Yeah. It was like, like I said earlier is, is a matchup of Virginia tech's good offense against Texas's good defense. The thing we didn't, didn't necessarily expect was Texas was going to have an equally good, if not, or was better offense than Virginia tech. I, I think you're, I think you're right. If you play that game over and over, the law of averages kind of takes hold. Texas is not going to shoot, you know, 10 of 19 from the three and 47% from the field every single night. Um, but it was still an eight point game by the end of it. So, you know, I thought, <laughs> you know, just a couple more, a couple more shots, you know, maybe if a three pointer from 75 feet or 65 feet, whatever it was at the end of the first half doesn't fall. Um, It's one of those games that you never know Tech was in catch-up mode basically since after that half-court buzzer beater went down. But, um, you know, tough, tough matchup.
0: I will say, though, the results around the ACC otherwise make Virginia Tech's late-season run look even more impressive. Notre Dame wins the pair of NCAA tournament games, one of them being that 11-seed matchup in Dayton, which – Quite frankly, I believe they had no business being in given their resume. Miami's in the Sweet 16. Carolina demolishes Marquette and then knocks up the defending national champions, and number one seed Baylor. And Duke did what they were supposed to do. I guess we all probably assumed Duke was capable of getting to this point given the draw that they were going to take. But Carolina, Notre Dame, Miami, what surprised you the most?
2: What surprised me the most was Carolina, just because they haven't. Aside from that one game against Duke at the end of the year, uh, they did not prove they could beat a top-tier team like Baylor at all. What I am not that surprised by, but is most interesting, is Miami. I mean, that's a team that Virginia Tech beat on the road. Like, like just to go back to the conversation about how many times Virginia Tech beats Texas as he played over again, like, to Tech beat a Sweet 16 team in Miami once... And then should have beat them twice, but, you know, they come in and win two games, knock off Auburn. I think, that I think if you look at Miami, that kind of underscores what I was saying earlier about tech's need to have, you know, a shot maker who could beat somebody off the dribble. They've got three guys and, and Charlie Moore, Wong and, and, uh, Magusti. like that's the kind of team that has success at tournament time. When you can, when you can make perimeter shots and make plays, off the dribble against tight, tough defense. You know, you just got to essentially have better athletes on there, and Tech doesn't have that. Miami certainly does, and that's why they that's why they cruised past Auburn because those guards are really, really good and really hard to stop. And, you know, if, once you get past that sweet 16, you know, guard play, they always say guard play wins you games early in the tournament, but then you got to gotta have the big man play later in the tournament i think virginia tech was probably the inverse of that and we saw that
0: yeah you know on one hand i don't think virginia tech fans should be surprised about the run that miami's made because i mean look if you've been watching virginia tech basketball all season and you were someone that was high on virginia tech coming into the tournament which i take a pulse on this fan base almost every day virginia tech fans were high on virginia tech going into this tournament and there were two absolute slug fests, you know, the one in castle buzzer beater from Miami to win. And then of course the improbable Darius Maddox shot in Coral Gables that ultimately brings it home for tech. If you thought tech was good, I mean, Miami played even basketball with them all the way. And yes, tech had that win over Duke. Miami played a one position game with Duke the night before or two nights before. I mean, that, that was a team that was coming into the tournament hot as well, but you mentioned big man play, right? And once you get into the later stages of the tournament, you have to be able to get into the inside. A very intriguing matchup between a UCLA team that is very heavily dominated by their guard play. Everyone's going to remember the name Johnny Juzang from last year's NCAA tournament versus a Carolina team that, you know, between the performance that they put on at Cameron and Kay's final game, between how they absolutely demolished Juve They might have taken a night off against Tech in the ACC tournament, but between Marquette and Baylor, they're hot and they did it in the second half against Baylor, with that, you know, arguably best or second best player on their team with Brady Manek, one two punch in the front court. Do you think they have what it takes to maybe make a run to the Final Four in Hubert Davis's first year? Kind
2: of, I think so. I mean, if their guards, if if R.J. Davis keeps playing like that, like he did against Baylor, I've always thought Caleb Love was was good enough, Manic and Baycott inside when they're playing well is just a it, it was it's one of the reasons why it was so odd that they that they didn't have a big win all year until they beat Duke Uh, like, you know Baycott is just a beast inside and manic is a stretch four is as good as it gets in the conference at least if not the country so I think I think it comes down to their guard play for them love and RJ Davis and they have one more blanket on his name can they beat UCLA? I don't know. I, I I'd lean towards no. I mean that's a that's a Final Four proven, so really really solid team for for UCLA. Johnny Chuang is they're, they've been there before. and They know how to do it. I, I you know after watching North Carolina play 20 plus games or however many, it feels like you're just waiting for them to revert to the team that they were for most of the year.
0: And then the West region, which I believe to be the strongest region at the top, ends up going chalk. You have an interesting matchup with Duke, all the athleticism in the world, a proven ability to score, very young versus a Texas Tech team that, again, tournament proven, average age 22, one of the best defensive teams in the country. And if Duke can win that, they likely have a date with Gonzaga, unless it's a very talented Arkansas team. Either way, no easy task the devils have what it takes to get to new orleans in k's final year
2: yeah i think so. you know you looked at that michigan state game michigan state kind of feels like the same team as texas tech and just there's there's solid team experienced team all that team that's been there before and duke stared him right in the eye and, and swatted them away there at the end i think i think that gives duke a ton of confidence um heading into that one but it's just, i think it's the, it's you know, they at least won some big games um, compared to Carolina, but I think Texas Tech is a similar team to UCLA and in, in that they're just, or even Texas, they're just like a really, really solid team that's not going to give you much. You're going to have to make some shots. You're going to have to make some tough plays. Um, but I do think Duke's confidence has got to be, given where they were after losing to Carolina to finish the regular season and then you know, losing to to Tech in the ACC championship, I, I think that win over Michigan State probably did wonders for their confidence, and that's that's got to be big.
0: Yeah, for real. I mean, I I think it goes back to, you know, the 2019 UVA team, kind of like you said, with these slow it down, defense, heavy styles basketball units. They're not going to beat you, but you have to go above and beyond to beat them and get around what they're doing, and Duke was able to do that I think that the young guys really grew up in the final five minutes of that game and proved their athletic superiority, but it's going to have to happen again. With what we've seen, though, I mean, eight and two record for the ACC so far on this tournament. Do you think that that speaks to the idea that the ACC was heavily underrated top down? I mean, the narrative all year is this is a down year for the ACC, the Big Ten asserting dominance, but now with five teams from the ACC making the tournament, you have three in the sweet 16 and just two teams from the big 10 when I believe they sent eight or nine. Is that just tournament basketball being tournament basketball or do teams like UVA and wake forest right now sit in the NIT and say, Hey, look, we played in a more difficult conference than the committee perceived. We did. We deserved a spot in the field of 68.
2: Yeah. I don't know about UVA, maybe wake, maybe wake, but I think it probably says that they got the right teams from the ACC Miami and North Carolina clearly underperformed all year. You know, we talked about Carolina with manic and Baycott. That's one of the best front courts in the country. Miami is one of the best back courts and they, and they finally kind of played up to their level and, and finally in the tournament after underachieving all year. Um, if you're Wake Forest, maybe you're upset about that, but you can't lose the Boston College in ACC tournament and, and expect anything different from what you did. Um, I think probably what happened is the, what is it, five teams that got in for the ACC? Those are probably the five deserving teams. Carolina probably a little bit better than an eight seed. Miami probably a little bit better than a 10 seed based on what they what they're doing now compared to what they did during the season.
0: So let's look ahead to the future of tech basketball here. Obviously, a banner year, pun intended. But nice. we know that Storm Murphy's out the door. Justin Munson, Keve Illuma have that extra year of eligibility. Do we expect either of them to return?
2: There's some scuttlebutt happening that maybe they return. But I just go back six years of college is a long time for anybody. In IL, maybe changes things a little bit. I guess you take a look around at your your draft prospects, which neither for Matsu or Luma, they're, 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 I would be shocked if Luma maybe has a chance of being a second round pick, but I would be shocked if he is a, is a draft pick at this point. So you're looking at undrafted free agent G-League or Europe versus staying in Blacksburg for another year to run it back. Maybe you stick around. That's somewhat appealing if you can get tens of thousands of dollars in nil money i think that's that's the only way that they consider coming back but you know i just keep going. like months is, but this is months is on his what third university and has been now at virginia tech for three two three years Aluma's on his second they're on the sixth year of being in college some people are just ready to go give it a go and and play professionally um, and he's you know the money may be the same, but that's still a different opportunity. So, you know we'll we'll see if that what they decide. Uh, it would be a huge, huge win for Virginia Tech to get them both back. Obviously, to get like that, that would that would part of the reason why it's probably not going to happen is because it would just be a monumental win for Virginia Tech to bring those two guys back, and those things don't happen Virginia Tech very often, except things like winning the ACC tournament. But um, maybe maybe they come back i don't know you there's no way to know what those guys are thinking right now like do you real? do you want to come back so you could either leave go sign a contract overseas and start playing professionally every day or you stick around in blacksburg for another 12 months another blacksburg winter blacksburg summer i don't know it doesn't seem you know yeah
0: I mean, it's
2: <laughs> you, it's like it's, the if, if, if the if the NIL money is the same, but you're like Blacksburg or Poland, Poland, France, maybe, maybe. But like those that would seem pretty cool as a 23 year old to go play in Europe for I don't know. And those guys make some decent money if you're in a good in a good league. I mean. You'd have to get a lot of nil money to to yeah to offset that.
0: Quite frankly, I don't know if we're in the eighty thousand dollar nil range with Virginia Tech basketball right now. That's just that's
2: rough. the other thing. Like, okay, so everybody's like, I want to, I am willing to spend the cash to bring back Muts and Illuma. Is based is a, a lot of people are saying. So so who where's the who's getting the money for football and who's not getting who. Who's not getting the money for football because of Mutz? Because, like, you spent a bunch of money to get Mutz and Aluma back.
0: Yeah, it's a curious situation. But let's assume they both don't come back. Are those positions that immediately need to be filled in the transfer portal? Right? I, I think that right now we look at the point guard position and say, all right, Sean Padula with a full off season is going to be able to slide into that position you know, very seamlessly. Yep. But for Aluma, I suppose you have David Anguson, who's... Been up and down. No clear, obvious replacement for Justin Muntz right now at the four. What do you think?
2: Yeah, in the old days, like, it would be, okay, David Gasan is sliding up after two years on the bench. These next, you know, seven, eight months until preseason practice starts are critical to get him to an ACC, to develop him into an ACC starter. That's the old days. Like, that's how a program ran. You develop a guy behind a starter. Starter leaves. It's his turn, and whether whether he's ready or not, that decides how good you are. Now with the transfer portal, there's no reason to um, hope that a guy that has not that has not come close to proving himself as an AC star, ACC starter to be content with that. Um, there's no reason for Mike Young to say Gassan is. We like him. We don't know if he's going to reach. Full potential. We don't know if he's going to be good enough, but we're going to give him a shot because you can go out in the transfer portal and get a guy that you know is 100% ready to start at the, in the ACC for 30 games. So it turns it into you know, you're recruiting, you're recruiting over Gassan and hoping that Gassan develops at the same time, sticks around, who knows. That's that's the challenge. So I think definitely definitely you're going to see Virginia Tech if Mutz and Aluma leave you're going to see Virginia Tech in the transfer portal pretty hard for some big men. Um, and, you know, with uh, potentially two starting positions available, so you're talking 30 minutes a night available, really good coach, proven track record of success. You could you could reasonably say now that you're going to play in the NCAA tournament if you come play basketball at Virginia Tech. And we've got 30 minutes a night for you. Um, I think for for the guys that are entering their transfer portal that are looking for an opportunity to play under a good coach who wins and play a ton of minutes that's that's appealing. So they should be in the mix for some some quality guys.
0: Compelling case to make, and you know that's what a ACC tournament champion will do for you. That's what two NCAA tournament appearances and the first three years will do for you. But, of course, you you got to expect attrition. I know a lot of people were surprised by Joe still leaving last year. Well, he's now left George Washington, too. He's in the transfer portal again. Anyone on this team right now that you firmly do expect to enter the transfer portal? Firmly, no, but I
2: have my eye on the guards. Uh, probably Aline and Maddox are the one I'm— are the ones I'm mostly talking about
0: a lean and Maddox or a lean or Maddox.
2: Probably the or I would, I would, I would think the or, I mean, I, I wrote it today, but you look at it like there's, there's at the two and the three, there's 80 minutes per game. Couture plays 30 minutes a game already. Doesn't seem like he's leaving given his relationship with, with Mike Young. Aline's played 30 minutes a game basically since he stepped on campus and Maddox. At the end of this year, he was playing he was playing 20 25 minutes a game. But you only get four years in college, and do you want to be a bench player or another role player, playing 20 25 minutes a game? I don't know. But if there's only 80 minutes at those wing spots, you're already playing what's that? 30 for Couture, 30 for. Baleen, twenty for Maddox, like those, that that's all gone, and then you're adding M J Collins and Rodney Rice to the mix. Um, it just seems like something has to happen on the wing. So that's why I'm looking. That's why I'm looking at those guys.
0: So pretty much
2: impossible to project out next season at this point. Probably. I mean, like Padula and Couture in the backcourt is pretty strong, assuming Padula continues to develop like like we saw over the course of this season you know, that's a pretty good starting point for a backup for for backcourt. And then you add if you assume that Virginia Tech is then going to add some quality big men through the portal, some some high major caliber guys, maybe they're you know, around 7th or 8th in the ACC to start or going into the preseason. And that's you know, that's right where you want to be in terms of, you know, starting to make a run. If it's a normal ACC year and more than you know, four or five teams
1: are going to get in.
0: We'll close the book on basketball for the year and move on to football, which means Evan, welcome back.
1: Yeah. I didn't know what you were talking about for a while. It seemed like you were speaking another language.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on David Gasson, Evan?
1: I have uh, my one takeaway from the NCAA tournament. I watched the first few minutes. My kids demanded pizza. I ordered pizza, I got in my car, I drove to pick up said pizza, ran a few errands, came home, Tech was losing, Tech lost. So my kids demanding pizza by some math law out there made made Virginia Tech uh, eliminated from the first round of the NCAA tournament.
0: Did you take advantage of the Domino's deal where they'll pay you $3 to pick up the pizza?
1: No, I'm not a Domino's fan, and my kids wanted a specific place that's a little out there, a little away from my house, but I had to go out that way anyway, so went out there, did a couple things, got some pizza, came home, Virginia Tech lost, Say la vie.
2: To blame
0: Evan's kids. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do,
0: why not? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, Evan, I guess the – the big news of the day, Virginia Tech landing a transfer from Nebraska, Feldarius Payne. Tell us about him. Where does he fit in?
1: Yeah, first of all, I mean, somebody had to take over, like, the Divine Diablo type of name, Housh and Gaines type of name. So he fits it right in there. I mean, Feldarius Payne's a, a great all-name team right off the bat, but I've actually known about this guy for a while. Um, he's a 757 guy. I used to, you know, cover him a little bit in high school uh, academically, had some questions, ended up going to Lackawanna, um, which Virginia, or, uh, Virginia Tech head coach Brent Pry has a big connection at Lackawanna. Obviously, Penn State kind of has their pick of the litter up there, but um, Brent Pry has some really strong contacts there. So, you know, he was at, uh Lackawanna went to Nebraska um he had you know he 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 was injured a little bit but he had a decent run at Nebraska played in all eight games in 2020 10 games in 2021 19 tackles two and a half tackles for loss uh he was an outside linebacker though in their 3-4 so he'll be transitioning to a to a 4-3 D end I think that fits him a little bit better um reminds me of taiwan garb a little bit maybe not as athletic um but reminds me of the same type of player of a type of an edge rusher i think you can do a couple things with him it'd be interesting to see with the new you know the new shift to the new defensive coordinator how uh you know how they'll do all of their schemes and all their stunts and all that stuff up front you know if if we were looking at a Bud Foster defense I don't know that he would be the type of guy like a like Taiwan or or like Amari Barno that you could maybe you could maybe stand him up you could maybe do some stuff with him there I know he has some outside linebacker experience but I think uh you know he might be a guy that's that's maybe more on the uh on the strong side just looking at what I've seen off of film uh, but we'll see once he gets to Virginia Tech and once he uh you know gets into pads and how he transitions to the D-line. I think when you look at what he brings to the table, he brings a lot of experience. Uh, obviously, he's a guy that's from the state of Virginia, so that's good to get a guy like that back. I don't know that he's a guy that walks in right away and, and is immediately going to be a starter or immediately going to be a big-time player. But I think he can have a a decent senior year in Blacksburg. I don't think he's a star by any means, but I think he's a guy that you get in the field. You know, I think he'll, I think he'll be productive in spurts. Uh, I just don't know that he's going to be a world changer that some people might be hoping for or asking for out of the portal. But Virginia Tech needed experience there. They needed bodies uh, at the defensive end spot, so they addressed that with him. Maybe you keep looking, see if you can maybe find a guy maybe a little younger, a little bit more, eligibility left to groom a little bit but you know i think he's a guy that i think he can play in the acc uh, and i think he'll be a guy that that's probably more of a rotational player than a uh than a true starter
0: i feel like there's definitely a perception among some of the fan base right now they see transfer from nebraska big name program they think immediate instant impact guy and you know that might not be the case but with the amount that Virginia Tech is losing, any help is beneficial to this team going into year one of Red Pride.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at his PFF numbers. Uh, he played roughly the same amount of snaps as Eli Adams played last year. Um, overall grade in, in, in 2021 was a 65.9, which is just a tick higher than Garbutt. Um So so I think what what Evan said was right on nail on the head there um he's he's about garbett's level probably i think virginia tech is looking for a fourth defensive end alongside garbett and griffin and probably cole nelson so is it pain you know maybe um certainly has that experience and is a little older um can probably come in from day one and pick up you know it, it feels like virginia tech Unless, unless a guy like Cole Nelson takes some huge steps forward over the, before next season, is going to be um, kind of running out four pretty similarly talented defensive ends. So whether it's Garbett, Griffin, Nelson, and Payne, or somebody else gets in the mix, they're they're just going to be kind
1: of the same players. Yeah, I think if you can get Payne 300, 350 snaps, you know, I think that's probably going to be the range right now. You know, just knowing what I know from what I've seen on film from him at Nebraska, but like I said, you're transitioning from, you know, an outside linebacker to a D end. Is that a better positional fit for him? Will he, you know, take to a change of scenery? Will, you know, can he take a next step at Virginia Tech, knowing it's the final year before trying to make it into the NFL? You know, there there's some wild cards there, some variables that are in play, but just based off of what I see now, I think, you know, 350 snaps in the season might be kind of where I would pencil that in right now.
0: So I, I just mentioned the amount that Virginia Tech loses, and hence the need to make additions wherever and whenever possible. We're coming off of Pro Day, and the combine is in the rear view. A laundry list of names of Virginia Tech guys going for the pros this year. And I don't think too many of them truly pop off the screen as sure things. Who do we expect to get drafted or at least have a very serious shot of doing so?
1: I think Barno is probably going to be the top draft pick for Virginia Tech this year. Um, and I think I've been saying this for, for two years on the message board. It's not because of Barno, the player. It's because Barno has what teams are willing to overpay for. I mean, he, he looks great. He's got length, he's got size, he's got athleticism, he's got speed. You know, you he he's still raw at the DN position. He doesn't have the huge stats that people maybe thought that he would have after that first year transitioning when no one really knew who he was. And, you know, he he had Justice Reed kind of taking up uh, a lot of, you know, some double teams and things like that on the other side of the line. So he could benefit from that. And he was asked to do a little bit different stuff this past year. But I think, uh, you know, I think he has enough on film. And I think you add in his combine uh, and and the times that he ran and how he looks, his length especially. I mean, he's he's a guy that when he was coming out of JUCO, everybody said he was a freak and he could be the next Tremaine. I mean, he looks like Tremaine um, from a size standpoint. And I don't think, I mean, I obviously don't think he's – as talented of a football player as Tremaine. I don't think he's a first round draft pick or anything like that, but I think he's got the highest draftable ceiling right now for the Hokies. I, I have a contact with the NFLPA that has continued to say he thinks Barno could be a top fifty pick. Um I'm gonna reach out to him and see what he's hearing now after Pro Day and after the the combine and all of that. But there has been a lot of talk uh around the NFL about him, about his intangibles, about what he brings to the to the table. Um, and just really, you know, you know that he's a raw football player, but there's so many things you can't teach, and he has them. So I think that'll really, uh, you know, play into it a little bit. Um, I think Tanuta can be draftable. I think he's he's got the size to be draftable. Um, Lucidis, I think, is draftable. Uh, Waller is going to be interesting to me because his times aren't good. Um, but he's he's a guy that you know he's got a decent amount of film out there. Um, he's he's been a, a, a pretty talented corner at Virginia Tech. He does have some injury concerns. I could maybe see him go late. Um, you know, I'm not sure he might fall into that undrafted free agency category. Um, a lot of people are, are you know wondering about Trey Turner. I think uh, I think Trey Turner falls to undrafted. I thought he would be drafted for a little while. I think he has, you know, some abilities, obviously. he's got, He's made some big plays during his time at Virginia Tech. But he, you, you look at his film, the progression isn't there from really from freshman year all the way through. He seemed to be the same guy all the way through. Didn't really get much bigger in the weight room. Didn't really do much different on the field. Uh, he still seems to be the same type of guy to me, and I think that's a little bit of a red flag. Um, And then you look at, you know, I didn't see all of his combine. I I saw his 40. I thought that was really good for him, but I heard the rest of his combine really wasn't very good. So he's doing everything he can to try and raise himself up the draft boards. I think if somebody takes a shot on him, he could be one of those guys that maybe gets an opportunity and seizes it. But I think it could take a little bit of time. I mean, look at a guy like Isaiah Ford, who was, You know, he was he was really talented at Virginia Tech, and it took him years to really make that active roster and make an impact in the NFL. So it's not easy. Wide receivers are kind of a dime a dozen. uh, And I feel like Trey's going to potentially fall into that, you know, into the into the wash a little bit there.
0: Note to self, bring on NFL draft expert for podcast. Doug, you got any thoughts?
2: I think Evan covered it. I was just looking at Barno. He ran, he ran the 15th fastest time at the combine of any, of any player. Uh, Everybody else on the list is wide receivers, corners or safeties. So, I mean, that's, that's why he's going to get picked because the guy, I mean, he's obviously got a long way to go development wise, but like Evan said, he's got the tools in terms of length and, and speed to play at the NFL level. And that's really what they're looking for, especially as you get past that first round in terms of like who's going to be a who can we pick at this at this spot that we can we can develop into into a game changer. Um, I, You know, I remember a kid from West Virginia that Seattle picked in the first round. He was just a pass rusher because of his speed. Um, Bruce Irvin, like, comes out of nowhere and literally has one job, and that's what made him so valuable. Um, Barno is running a four three six. At you know, I think his official measurement was six four and some change. Was with clear length and athleticism. Like somebody's gonna pick him fairly high and make a bet that they can that they can turn him into a really really productive player on a pretty cheap rookie contract.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And I just think that where that round placement is is going to depend on if there's some team that looks at him and falls in love with him and is willing to draft him, you know, 35 spots before general consensus would say he would, because this is a guy they feel like they can't live without. And you see that every year, you know, with a player who has a long way to go. I mean, my team Washington picked Troy Apke and like, third round or something like that when he was merely a speed guy my roommate's laughing at me right now as he, hears <laughs> me, as he hears me say that but you know it does indeed happen year to year but you know doug i'll come back to you on this one because unfortunately mate can't be with us tonight but we know that last week he was rejoicing when brent Price said that Connor Blumrich is one of the 22 most athletic people on the team, and thus they will find a spot on the field for him. We mentioned the uh, lack of depth at pass rush. Do you think Blumrich could fit in there? Pass rush, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, get him on the field. Whatever you
2: need to do. I mean, that kind of athlete, he could play two ways. Catch some passes, throw some passes, sack the quarterback. Let's do it all player there.
1: I think it's I think it's interesting. Uh, sometimes like I circle back to things like this that just kind of stick out in my mind but when <laughs> Connor Blumrick committed to Virginia Tech as a transfer I talked to a lot of people that have seen him develop over time saw him at Texas A&M saw him in high school you know all all of that and and even and even contacts with the old coaching staff and things like that and it was said by multiple people that he will be one of the most athletic football players at Virginia Tech. And I I put that on the message board that that's one of the things that I was hearing. And a lot of people didn't believe it. And then Justin Fuente says, it, and it's like, oh, that's just because Daryl Dickey probably said it. Well, maybe. But now you have a coaching staff that's not connected to him at all that comes out and says the same thing. So it is interesting that multiple people have seen this athleticism out of him you got to find a way to get him on the field if he is really that athletic. Uh, You know, I I said something earlier today or yesterday about people jumping off the edge, you know, jumping off the ledge because they think Blumrick looked the best after the second day of spring practice uh, at quarterback. I I would be shocked if Connor Blumrick was the quarterback at Virginia Tech. I, I can openly say that with Mateen out on the line. I would I would be shocked if that were the case if he was if he was named the quarterback the starting quarterback going into game one but I wouldn't be shocked if they found a way to get him on the field you know if you can find a way to make him an H back make him a tight end get him the ball somehow in space do some trick plays with him I think you could have some fun with him um, it, it's it it is but it's interesting to me that. People that saw him in high school, people that saw him in college at Texas A&M, and now coaches at Virginia Tech under two different staffs have all singled out his athleticism. So there's got to be something there.
2: And it's not just – the first time this new staff saw him was a pinstripe pole game where he was not not particularly effective and not asked to do anything all that impressive. Um, Not the ideal first impression. So that's, that was the first impression. And then, you know, obviously over the last, what, three months now, he's proven something else to them. Um, I agree with Evan that if he's a starting quarterback, that's going to be interesting. Um, That would be quite a, quite an indictment, I think, of where Wells and Brown are. But I, th- I think those two guys are still going to end up um, well ahead of the pack. But as far as like a kind of... Swiss army knife do everything kind of role. I think one of the things that encourages that is that Virginia Tech skill position players are not all that proven either. So there's a lot of opportunity to build to build productive roles when you when you don't have proven wide receivers coming back, when you don't have proven running backs coming back, um kind of gives you an opportunity to 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 get Really, really creative when there's just you know, eighty-five percent of the catches are up for grabs and probably similar numbers of 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 rushing attempts. So I think that's a that could be a role for him. We'll see how it shakes out the rest of the spring and into the fall, though.
1: Yeah, it's not like it's not like the Texas A&M staff didn't ask him to do the same thing. So you know, it's it can always be a tough decision or a tough conversation to have to ask somebody to move positions, but. He's been asked before, and he he did it there. you know he's playing special teams. he's playing running back, he played tight end so i think if if you're gonna do it, go ahead and do it. you know, maybe make that decision halfway through spring work get him if that's the the move they want to make, get him moved somewhere to get comfortable. Um, but you know somebody somebody said it today. i think it was i think it was the you know the the best way to explain it in my opinion is. If Connor Blummerich is the starting quarterback going into game one, that's not going to be the headline. Something else seems to have gone majorly wrong. You know, there's there's going to be major issues somewhere. Um, I don't even know that 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 would end up being the headline. So I think uh, right now, I think, you know, Grant Wells and and Jason Brown are going to be the two really fighting out for that starting spot this year. But. You know, if, if everyone keeps saying that he's as athletic as he is, find a spot for him.
0: And look, I can imagine a scenario where Connor Blumrick transferred to Virginia Tech because he thought he had a shot to be the starting quarterback or at least get some playing time at the quarterback position. I do not believe that Connor Blumrick stayed at Virginia Tech because he believed with a turnover on doing a new staff that he would have a real shot to compete at the quarterback position. I think that this is a guy who just probably just loves playing football and doesn't want to move again. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, and if he, if he were to enter the portal again, you know, and go somewhere, his quarterback film is not going to get him a spot. You know, like somebody might take a chance on him as a jumbo athlete, but with one year left, you you run the risk that you might not even have a shot to somewhere. So, you know, I think at this point you kind of, you know, do what the coaching staff thinks is best and you know, say thank you sir for for believing in me um if that's at quarterback or a tight end or running back or whatever it is so you know he's a gamer you know watching him run the ball is it, it can be fun it can also be infuriating but it can be fun so find a way to get him the ball see if you can get him in space and and see if he can help the team in any way
0: one thing that stuck out to me was a lot of high praise for Bryce Duke early on in camp and in these workouts. Do you think this is a guy that realistically has a chance to see the field getting carries out of the backfield, maybe catches out of the backfield as a true freshman?
1: Talent-wise, I think he probably could be. There's just so many bodies there. They have to cut that that room down attrition really has to take a a natural hold there and I think it will we've already seen Taj Gary enter the portal there's only so many reps that go along or they go around there's only uh, you know you you might play three running backs probably aren't going to play more than that significant minutes so you know if you're in that you know five to nine range it it might be best for you if you're not a true freshman it might be best for you to maybe look elsewhere uh, maybe enter the portal and see what you can do I think Right now, it's kind of a double-edged sword entering the portal. It's oversaturated. Um, plus, you know, if a guy enter, enters the portal now, they don't have a full spring of uh, camp film that the schools can send out. So, if you're already in camp. Let's go ahead and ride it out for a few weeks. Get as much film together as you can before you enter. But, you know, Brent Pry said last week he expects attrition to hit. I fully expect attrition to hit. It's it's going to hit that running back room. If that running back room thins out, I think you could see a guy like Bryce Duke maybe ending up being, you know, maybe the fourth back or so, Uh, maybe even higher than that. I've heard some good things from him so far, but, you know, I always take all of that with a grain of salt because it was day two. You know, today was day three, day one of pads. Um, Things change when you can get hit. You know that's why football is not played in t-shirts and shorts you can look beautiful out there in, in seven on seven or in uh in a camp setting and look awful when the pads come on because you know of, of multiple different things you can be afraid of getting hit um, you can have a o line uh, you can just take a punishment take punishment after punishment and be injured so it'll be interesting to see i think talent wise um some people probably slept on him a little bit in the state. I wasn't as high on him as Brian Doan was, our, our national uh, recruiting analyst for the, you know, the the mid-Atlantic area. Um, he was actually really high on him uh, and and thought that he could be a guy that could probably make an instant impact. So, you know, I think, uh, I think he may have gotten that one a little bit more right than I did right now, but it's too early to tell. We'll see how things shake out, you know, after the spring, in the fall camp, you know, we need to see – uh, who shows up, who leaves, and, you know, kind of how things go once pads get on.
2: Yeah, I think uh, it, it's nearly impossible to tell after two practices for – in a normal year, I think it's even more hard to tell after two practices and you know, the first year of a coaching staff where they're installing so many – so much new stuff um, the, that they're throwing at the players right now and, and everybody's trying to trying to keep up with it uh, – they get three three scrimmages, I think, is what the NCAA allows during spring practices. I think it's two in the spring game, basically. Um, those are where those are those are the scrimmages where people really make their moves, and because the pads are on and you're thinking on your feet, making plays against a, a in a live a live situation. So anything that's being said now after a couple practices. Um, that's that's likely. You know, you're working hard. You're doing the right things. You're executing the drills, and you know, showing your athleticism in a in you know a helmet and shorts. But it's it's those key those the scrimmages in the spring, and then again in the fall are key in and really figuring out the depth chart.
1: It's also about consistency too. Like you have to to be able to string together good workouts and string together good practices, which can string together to more playing time and And get you on the field. I think, you know, anybody that's played sports, you've always, there's always been a guy or there's always been a time or or multiple times where you have somebody that, you know, has one great practice or even one great game. You know, they look great. They, they, they were, uh, you know, four for four from, you know, bat, or they ran for a hundred yards or they were, they scored a hat trick or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, if only they could do that every day, right? If if only you could continue to do that and continue to make that progression. Uh, but they never take that next step, right? So it's one thing to come out and be like, oh, yeah, day two, so-and-so looked good. But, you know, you have to see what does day three look like? What does day four look like? You know, what does the rest of the spring play out like? Then how do you take advantage of the summer? How do you take advantage of that to go into fall camp? Can you string that together? before you really look at it and say, this guy's got a really good chance of pl- at, at some playing time. It's just really too early to tell.
2: Especially with the freshman, when you're you talking about that, the the freshman wall that they'll, a lot of them hit at some point. I mean, speaking of Duke and early enrollee, I mean, he should be in high school right now, which is a completely different animal than conditioning and meetings all day, spring practice, more conditioning more meetings class like there's a it's way too early to make any projections there just based on like uh, it is a wildly different environment what he's stepping into than you know clearly the off-season conditioning in January and February helped get him there but like that's that's where you see people hit the wall where it's just a just a grind of all day every day and then you're also you know face the pressure of, of trying to perform because he wants to play and he wants to win a job. And that's, that's, that's a lot of pressure.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Speaking of early enrollees who hit some sort of wall, Reed Pulliam no longer with the program. Evan, do we have any intel there?
1: Honestly, no, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Nobody wants to talk about it. Anytime I've got, I've asked, I've gotten no response back. So I don't know what it is. Um, Brent Pry, you know, when he a little bit mentioned it, I guess, I saw it come out on Twitter, um, I think from Andy Bitter, uh, that they weren't shutting the door on it. But right now it, you know, he was not with the team. I know he was with the team um, a few weeks ago. But, no, I don't know what happened there. And nobody wants to talk about it. So it must not be something that needs to be
0: out in the public. Fair enough. All right. We'll end on brighter news. You have a tease for the public.
1: Yeah, I usually do these on Thursday nights uh, in the teardown, but let's see how many people are uh, are listening and, and, you know, are paying attention. I'm going to put in a crystal ball I'm gonna do it on Thursday night uh, like I always do. But here's the, the uh, early crystal ball. I'm going to do a crystal ball for Lance Williams to Virginia Tech. Uh, Lance Williams, three-star out of Alcoa, Tennessee. I should have done this a year ago, to be honest. Um, everything I heard that he loved Virginia Tech, um, that he was ready to 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 possibly do an early commitment to Virginia Tech. But one of the big questions with him was was the staff was their staff stability under Justin Fuente, which we know there was not. But he loves Virginia Tech. Um really liked Vance Vice. I and mean, there was a staff turnover. He was still obviously really high on the school, but he didn't know who the O-line coach was gonna be. He didn't know how he would fit the system. Um, he didn't know if Virginia Tech still wanted him, things like that. Uh so he came up to Virginia Tech this past weekend and it was made abundantly clear. That he is a a top target for Joe Rudolph. It was made very clear that they want him. They wanted to make sure that he knew that they were fully reoffering him a scholarship and they want him back on campus as soon as possible. They're gonna go down and see him during the spring evaluation period, watch him play, watch him work out. Um, Virginia Tech's been the constant for a long time, and they're still the constant going through a coaching change. I think this is one that Joe Pry- or, or Joe, Pry- Joe Rudolph will, will solidify. Um, I think, you know, um, obviously I think Vance Weiss did a lot of heavy lifting here, getting him on campus multiple times for games, um, showing them what Virginia Tech is and, and you know, really uh, opening up the campus to him and his family. Um, but I think. He got back to Virginia Tech this past weekend, had a really good one-on-one conversation with Brent Pry, had a really good family conversation with Joe Rudolph, uh, and I think that's going to be something that kind of seals the deal there. Um, I don't know that it's completely done yet. I know uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that's got a, a really long offer list. He's got Georgia Tech, he's got Kentucky, he's got Purdue, South Carolina, West Virginia. Obviously, if Tennessee offers, they have not yet. They offer that can change things because he's a Tennessee guy. Um, but right now I think um, you know, I think Virginia Tech is really, really in a good spot. Um, one reason he really likes Brent Pry, I thought this was cool, uh, is Lance Williams is a a big time high school wrestler. Um, on top of being an O-lineman, he's also a a top wrestler in Tennessee and he loves Brent Pry because Brent Pry grew up as a wrestler. Um, so he really likes that about him. They could talk high school wrestling. Um, they could go back and forth on some some stuff. I admit, I'm sure Brent Pry went back to the glory days and talked a little bit about that. But, you know, I just think it fits. Um, so Thursday night, I'm going to throw in a crystal ball for Lance Williams to Virginia Tech. So for the listeners out there, you get that one for free. That's the reasoning for it. I'll, I'll maybe have a little bit more interrogation. I might do a second crystal ball this week. I'm not sure. But Lance Williams will be my pick for this week.
0: Well, wow. Well, there you have it. It pays to listen to inside the tunnel. Doug, any final thoughts before we check out?
2: I was just gonna follow up on Evan there. You mentioned Tennessee. In case you are wondering, Alcoa, Tennessee is twenty minutes south of Knoxville. So, you know, if they if they come in, then I think that probably makes things interesting there.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know, it's it's the backyard school. You know, it's the same thing with like, you know, Gunnar Givens had that same situation with Virginia Tech. Like if other schools came in. They still had to fight that uphill battle of Virginia Tech could give you what no other school could because you could be home for dinner every night if you wanted to and your family could be at every game and all of that. So yeah, if if Tennessee offers, all bets are off. Uh, but right now they haven't. I think Virginia Tech is in a very comfortable spot. Um, he has not claimed that Virginia Tech is the leader, but the you know reading the tea leaves, I think Virginia Tech is is sitting as well as you can right now. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked. He may wait around to see if Tennessee offers. I don't see this one going past the end of the summer. Um, and I think Virginia Tech sits comfortable for him right now, and, and I'm comfortable enough to put in a pick for it.
0: Wow. Monumental breaking news on Inside the Dental. That's going to do it for us, folks. We'll be back. What do we say next week? Two weeks from now, something like that?
2: Next week or the week after?
0: Next week sometime. or the week after sometime, eventually. And you're not going to want to miss it. Rate, review, subscribe, folks. Thanks for listening to Inside the Tunnel brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. Enjoy the rest of March Madness. Enjoy trying to figure out what's going on behind the closed doors of spring practice. The boards are a great place to share your thoughts, whether they are founded or unfounded. So, yeah, have fun with that. And until we talk to you next, go Hokies.